0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. It's great to be up here um, and have the opportunity to preach this morning. I can't believe it's already December of 2019, where we're already in our Advent series. Um, Just thinking about it, I love the way that this one pastor put it. Borrowing from Twitter, by the way. Um, But everyone's still hungover from Turkey or from shopping and no one's ready. Just like the first advent, Jesus arrived in the dark of night, shrouded in ordinariness and forgettableness, because grace shows up when we're distracted and unsettled. Grace arrives when you need it, not when you're prepared for it. Not when you're seeking it or asking for it. Grace doesn't wait till you're ready. Otherwise grace would never come. Grace would no longer be grace. Sometimes grace is awkward, grace interrupts, grace surprises, just like the first Sunday of Advent each year. And so as we look at the first Advent and celebrate this first Sunday of Advent together as a church, I'm so excited to have the privilege of starting off our series. And perhaps you came here fully prepared aware and knowing that this is the first Sunday of Advent. And others of you might be wondering why we have a forest in our sanctuary. (laughs) But whatever the case, I want to welcome you into the first Sunday of Advent and to the start of our Advent series. We'll be in the same text for the whole series as we delve deep into the various aspects of this passage and discern some biblical reasons for the season of our celebration. So going to the text, our text is one perspective on the story of the birth of Jesus. Joseph takes his pregnant wife-to-be, Mary, to be registered in his hometown of Bethlehem, the city of David. And while they're in Bethlehem, there was no room available to them, as we know the story. Mary gives birth and has to lay her child in a manger. And that's where our passage comes in and tells the story of these shepherds. These humble shepherds who hear the good news, the good, great news of the birth of the Savior and find their way to to the child to rejoice. And so throughout this Advent series, we'll be spotlighting, as we said, different aspects of this passage, Luke 2, 8 through 20, giving attention to the variety of things that take place um, in this narrative as we point to the arrival of Jesus in the flesh and one aspect that I would like to highlight today through our text is a particular response that we see in, in our text, and that's singing. Very fitting as for me, my, my full-time role here, part, part of that is worship director. And so I love the opportunity and the, and the privilege to be able to talk about that through this text. As we know, songs are an integral part of our Christmas season, our, our holiday celebrations, if you will. It's absolutely inescapable. You walk into Lion Cantata Mall or Fry's or any other retail shop, CVS, drugstores, uh, anywhere you go, you'll see and hear just holiday decorations, holiday cheers, and holiday music. And you'll be met with the choir full of them, just the speakers blasting. Um, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, among other songs. And in fact, this is apparently a pretty heated debate among some circles. How soon is it too soon to play Christmas music? I've seen news outlets actually publish articles on this topic saying, giving the certain time frames that certain stores will put out certain music, um, it infuriates some people. And for others, it rejuvenates them, gives them the holiday cheer, depending on your personality, I guess. And I get it. I mean, if you're playing Frosty the Snowman in late October, you're not welcome to operate the radio or, or CD on my, on my car. <laughs> but the right Christmas song at the appropriate time, appropriate season, I'm all for that. Whether you're for or against Christmas music playing. What we can agree on is that we have, uh, we we see that music has an impact on all of us, impact on people. Certain songs and certain tunes are tied to certain memories. You hear, all I want for Christmas is you in middle of March and you'll still picture Christmas. You'll still see red and white decorations all over the place. You. For me personally, I hear the song Baby Shark now and all I can just have is flashbacks of Trunk or Treat where we decided to have a little karaoke mic and all the kids wanted to sing Baby Shark for the millionth time (laughs) and hearing and singing certain songs incite certain emotional, mental and even physical responses. So what we can see, that, see here through our experiences is that singing is an integral part of the human experience. And even the scriptures tell us that we're created and designed to sing. Singing at a physical level is drawing air from your lungs, ex- exhaling that air as your vocal cords vibrate, amplified as the sound fills your head and chest and physically your tongue and mouth is moving to shape certain sounds and certain forms. So physically speaking, if you're able to speak, you're able to sing. You don't have to be a trained musician for you to be singing a song. And even if you're physically impaired from singing, every human being has a design and a heart to be able to sing, perhaps not in the physical sense of vocalizing sounds, but in expressing ideas, expressing emotions, just as... All human beings are designed in the image of God and God has expressed his pleasure in, in his creation as he, speaks exist, as he speaks creation into existence and he speaks that they are very good. We too, as, be, as people made in his image, express pleasure and see things as very good. All people are singers and now, when I say all people are singers, I don't mean that all of us should be aspiring to audition for the American Idol or The Voice or whatever next show coming up. But I do believe that all of us have been given a voice with which we can sing. Even those physically impaired cannot vocalize, but we sing with, their, we sing with hearts, we sing with our minds, our souls, and perhaps through sign language or whatever other means that God has given to express their delight in something. Origins of music and singing find their way in the study of language as one of the earliest forms of art and expression that have been recorded in history. And so singing is actually as ancient as human beings have been around. And some scholars even believe that singing predates the actual development of languages. So I'm talking about singing in this historical way, why? Because we often don't think of singing in this inherent sort of way. We tend to view it as a craft reserved for those who have spent hours, months, and years carefully learning to control their voices to produce a beautiful and perfectly executed sound. That's what we perceive singing to be. But in fact, it's much more basic than that. It's a vital part of our existence as human beings. Biblically, God commands us to be a singing people. We see various references to singing over 400 times throughout the scriptures, and we see explicit commands to sing. One such example is found in Psalm 149 in a verse that should sound familiar to Christian ears. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. And on that note, Keith and Kristen Getty, Christian songwriters and musicians, they've Worked with a lot of different songs, and you might have, you might, we sing In Christ Alone here, which is their song as well. And they write this in their book God's commands are not arbitrary, They're, they are always for his people's good. Just as we're told to study the scriptures, to pray, to give, to take communion, so we are also commanded to sing with the saints because we need to sing. Our spiritual health depends on it it is that serious, it is that big. And as such, we sing because God commanded it. And in a perfect world where none of us are forgetful sinners, where all of us love the word and delight in the law of God perfectly, we could stop right there. Why do we sing? Because God said so. But I'll be the first to say as someone that sings on a regular basis as a part of his job, that I often don't sing simply because God told me. I asked a but why question. You know that question that kids ask you when you explain something, but why? I know, but but why? And I asked this question over and over again, needing reasons to battle my sinfulness and my own insecurities and knowing what I experienced, I wanna flesh this question out together. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Why do we get together every week and sing these songs? Why is it that we sing these songs talking about the birth of Jesus throughout the Advent season? Why do we sing? We sing for a variety of reasons, which I couldn't possibly attempt to address all the different reasons and motivations right now. But as we head into Advent 2019, I wanna give you three compelling, biblical, gospel-saturated reasons that we sing. And I hope that these reasons would give you new motivation or perhaps renew an old motivation to sing joyfully this season, not just with our voices, but with our lives. These are a few reasons that we sing. We sing to remember, we sing to express, and we sing to rest. So I want to dive into our text as we flesh out each of these reasons. And I want to turn our attention today to verse 14, where we'll spend most of our time. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. First, we sing to remember. Remember what exactly? As we said, singing is one of the oldest traditions in, in human history. And combining words with melodies to tell a certain story um, it's possible that singing was a primary method of passing down traditions and passing down knowledge before written language was developed, and this is true of our experiences today. I couldn't tell you the English alphabet without singing the tune of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and I'm pretty sure I had never opened the actual Bible before I learned, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I couldn't tell you where the, where on the map North Dakota is, but I could tell you I could sing the 50 states in alphabetical order from a song I learned in elementary school. Singing helps us to retain certain memories, certain nuggets of information, sometimes important, sometimes not so important, information that expresses a truth or an emotion. And as we are created to sing and commanded to sing, we see that God uses this to shape and mold us. So what do we sing to remember? Remember? We sing to remember truths about God. Specifically, as our text leads us, we sing to remember what the good news of the Savior means. Look to verse 14 again. This is a song that the host of angels break out into as they deliver what they describe to be the good news of great joy. That a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news of great joy. And the host of angels, in response, sings this, the Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And this line is the remembering of one true story of the world. You see, these shepherds are first given the good news of the arrival of the Messiah. Then they sing this song. And in fact, this, this song of the angels is not a declaration in itself but it's a reminder that God's promises have come true. Because Jesus is born, this child is born, it's a declaration that, this, that the story of God has progressed now in a dramatic way. It's this one line that we're reminded that God is glorious because of the birth of Jesus. This glory is already ascribed to God. He is already in the highest. The angels don't need to sing this for God to be glorious. But what leads the angels to sing this is not simply that God is glorious. That's always the case. But it's the revelation of God in the person of Jesus as he is born in the flesh. And it displays God's glory in a way that has not happened in history to that point in time. And so the angels' song point us to a glorious God who has condescended into the form of an infant in a manger and yet still glorious just the same. And later in that line, the angels go on to sing this in their song. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So they're continuing on to remember God's story. The angel song declares another fruit of the birth of Jesus Christ. Peace on earth. If you just picture this scene with me, it's a really odd scene. I can't remember the time I've seen a host of angels. But we're told that the shepherds were filled with great fear. I mean, I would be too. This is a host of angels that show up. And host is not a word that we use on a daily basis in our modern language. But it's essentially an army of angels that appears to sing these praises. So you can imagine the irony of it. an army not coming to conquer, but instead coming to declare peace on earth. And as we talk about peace, another word that you may be familiar with that's, synonymous to peace is the Hebrew equivalent of that word, which is shalom. And it's this equivalent word in our text, as as the one in our text, and it signifies a deeper peace than what our definition of peace in English might signify. It's not peace like I get to lock myself in a silent room away from people, away from kids, and just have my own space, that kind of peace. No, it's not that. It's perfect harmony, Perfect unity, it's peace that deeply infiltrates every area of our lives. Peace and harmony between God and his creation, between people to people, between people and creation, and with, even with oneself. This is the reminder that the angel song sings of. The shalom peace that God has ordained, he has placed into creation. He promised to restore Once the fall happened, once people sinned, he promised to restore it, and it has finally arrived in the form of Jesus Christ. Just as God's glory being revealed in the person of Christ, God's peace is also given to mankind as a result of the advent of Christ. And so this song is truly a response to the character and work of God, of Jesus arriving we sing to remember also that God initiates with us, as we say each week. As our worship services begin this way, yet again, Scripture reminds us that we are not at the center of God's story, the Bible's story. The Bible does not exist as a manual to show us to, how to be a better people. The Word of God is not given to us so that we could live our best lives. The Bible exists, us, exists to remind us of a God who first speaks to us, and has used the singing of angels and men to continue telling his story. The Bible exists as God's living word to tell us God's story, and all the best songs in this world continue to tell that story. We sing to remember that God is glorious, as the angels declare, that God is good. He is holy. He has loved us even while we were sinners. And just as a parent teaches a child the alphabet in the form of a song, God gives us the angel's song to model for us how we are to be singing. Just as the alphabet is a building block as we learn a new language, likewise the glory of God revealed and the peace of God given to us is the foundation upon which we build the language of our faith. It's a reminder that, that it begins all with God, that all of our faith is sustained by God, that it's made complete by God, and all of it is for God and his glory. So I ask you, how do you react to that good news? Is this the kind of song that you sing when you hear the good news of God? Do you recognize the need for song as such as this that helps us to be reminded of God's glory and the kindness of the gift of peace? We picture a toddler as we're talking about the alphabet and building blocks, just as a toddler won't be able to learn the alphabet on his own or her own. I hope that we recognize our helplessness in this. We don't don't need this reminder because we're so close and this is going to push us over the edge. We need it because we're so much farther than we could have ever imagined. We need this reminder because God alone is glory and peace. Secondly, we we sing to express. We express many things through songs. Sorrows, joys, desires, goals, ambitions, love stories, broken hearts. And we can scour the library of human music to really experience a full range of human emotions. The songs that we listen to and sing, it captivates our hearts and minds and really display the outward, really display outwardly the inward condition of our hearts. So what is our song? What is the song that we sing? What are we expressing with that song? Look at verse 10. See how he describes the news that he brings. Again, I bring attention to how the angel describes this good news. He's, he, he says he brings good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. I mean, who talks like that? I would imagine the angel who delivers this word is either using puffed up words or really genuinely means what he is saying. It's one or the other. And so you see this genuine joy in the word, good news of great joy. And as you see this, you, you would imagine that this, this is similarly expressed in the joy of this song, especially when the words of the song cry out, glory to God and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when we talk about expression, we're talking about a genuine alignment of the heart's posture to the actual outward display. The words that we sing, the words that we say, align with the emotions and the feelings in our hearts. To peel the curtain back a little bit on my process as a worship leader, this is the reason I tend to shy away from a lot of what many would consider popular Christian worship songs perhaps that you might hear on the radio or whatnot. Um, Sometimes I'll be asked like, why don't we sing this song song or that song? And part of the reason is because we desire for our congregational singing to be a genuine expression of our posture before God. So what can we genuinely express? We go through a range of emotions. We go through a range of different, different ups and downs in our lives. What can we genuinely express before God? Well, I'd say it's very similar. It models after the songs of the angels. We can genuinely express that God is holy. That is unchanging. That he is good. He is great. He is glorious. He is mighty. That he is our hope and salvation. We can express what God has done, that he has given us new life in him, that we have been called out of darkness into a marvelous light, that we are called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that all that has revealed to us in his word and story is good for singing. We can express our need for his grace. That though we fluctuate in our emotions, we go up and down in our needs and desires. The one need is constant, that though he has defeated sin, we continue to be a people utterly dependent on grace. We go on sinning forgetful as we are, and that we need his grace to sustain us until the day he returns. So we shy away from certain songs, not because they're bad in and of themselves, but because we want our singing to be a genuine expression of love towards God. This takes many shapes and forms as the psalms instruct us. The psalms are a model of that. Some are repentant psalms, looking inward to our sins. While others focus on the majesty and the glory of God, And other psalms sing in agony, crying out in pain in the midst of suffering. I believe that the goal of our church's worship together is to be reminded of God's character and works and to participate in that story according to how he has called each of us. And so we strive for our congregational singing to be truth about God's character, his works, and our need for him. And so perhaps we don't see this range of emotions in our text, in the angel's song, but, but we do see the weight with which the angel delivers this good news and corresponding song of the angel's army. We see a genuine expression, heart and mind, translated into a vocal declaration as they declare God's glory. Our faith is expressed in many ways through service, through deed, through words of encouragement and truth. And it's also expressed in singing. Because we sing because our faith is a sung faith. Author Mike Cosper writes this in his book, Rhythms of Grace. He says, our faith is a sung faith. The people of God sing in war and peace, victory and defeat, celebration and lament. On the one hand, our singing is otherworldly. We sing an ancient song that climaxes in the hazy but hope-filled future. We sing as a living people walking living people among the walking dead. Our singing expresses not only truths about God and our mental, physical, emotional responses to God's truths, but our singing expresses our identity as a living people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our singing says that we're no longer dead, but we have been made alive through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our singing expresses deep sorrow that we're not yet where we long to be, but our singing continues to be hope-filled as it holds on to God's promises. Our singing reminds us that God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. Our singing reminds us of God's truths, and expresses our need for His grace. I recall my third grade classroom when I first moved to the United States from South Korea and I sat in Mrs. Smith's classroom not really understanding much of what's going on. I didn't speak English at the time but I remember hearing the national anthem for the very first time. I remember hearing this tune and just feeling patriotic, it's a very patriotic song Then a few years later when I had learned English, when I did a little history class and learned some background on on the song, I was able to recite the lyrics and understand what was going on. We took a field trip to Fort McHenry and we were told of the Battle of 1812 and how Francis Scott Key wrote the poem, The Defense of Fort McHenry, which later became known as the Star Spangled Banner. And I remember going home on the bus ride, feeling so patriotic, fully bought into the story of victory and the glory of this nation, of freedom. But there is a much better story. Just as we embrace that anthem, there's a much better story. And it's not one of any worldly nation or power. It's the story of Jesus Christ. He didn't come with rockets red glaring and bombs bursting in air. He came in the form of a weak and helpless infant. It laid down in a manger, met by humble shepherds. He came to live the perfect life, sinless and perfectly obedient. He then died the only death that he could die because he lived the perfect life and was therefore the perfect sacrifice. He took on the wrath of God, atoning for the sins of man. And he died and he was raised in three days, declaring victory over sin and death once and for all. He has called his followers into a new life, united with him by his spirit and living to be a blessing to the world as he has always promised. Our song as the church, as the body of Christ, is to express this true story. Our song is an anthem that declares the kingship and authority of Jesus Christ because of who he is who he tells us he is what he has done over all of our lives and over all the world Jesus is King and that's just not that's not just a title to Kanye West's Christian album Jesus is King is truly the reality that we forget one that we must be reminded of and one that we seek to express in the songs of our lives. So lastly, we sing to rest. How can we rest? All of this sounds like we should be living better lives. All of, us, all of this sounds like we should be constantly immersed in God's truth and expressing our need for Him constantly and singing this better song to God. How can we rest? We find rest in God's truths. We find rest in the promises of God. Because all of this singing, all of this singing as a reminder, singing as an expression of our hearts, it points to the true reality that indeed Jesus is king and that we rest in his kingdom When we talk about Jesus' kingship, him arriving on earth as a baby king, when when God sends down his son in the form of a baby to be king over all, I picture the rest, the kingly rest that God promises. We look to, when we talk about rest, we look to the seventh day when God first rested throughout creation, He creates for six days and rests on the seventh day. He's not fatigued. He's not tired. He's God. But what we see here, what we see in Genesis is God's kingly rest. God is declaring, he's dusting off his hands and he's saying, my work here is done. It is finished. He doesn't need to tinker or adjust. When God speaks creation into existence and declares it to be very good, It is very good. In the same way, we see the song of the angels declare peace on earth with those whom he has pleased, a deep and restorative shalom peace that brings harmony and reconciliation where there was once war. This is the effect of the advent, the coming of Jesus. His simply being born declares God's glory and peace on earth. And so when we hear of a work being finished, we can't help but point to Jesus Christ on the cross and his words reflect on that as he breathed his final breath saying, it is finished. The shepherds along with Mary and Joseph, I can't imagine that they have any idea what is coming for this baby that they're admiring to be their savior, what it means that he is Christ the Lord, the savior. But they praise God because it is his Work and it is the fulfillment of his promises. So, singing one glorious song of the story of Jesus does not make all of our lives. We continue to sing, we continue to labor on because we find rest in the person and work of Jesus. We sing to rest because our singing reminds us of his truths and we're able to respond with our expressions. We sing to rest by trusting that what we're singing about and who we're singing to are not in vain. Well, our singing is not empty melodies. It's the chorus of God's people with tremendous diversity in expression. And yet we have harmonious shalom unity as we sing our individual songs, trusting all of us in God's glory. We sing to rest because the child christ being born means that we no longer have to strive for this shalom peace god gives it to those who with whom he is pleased we sing to rest because god's pleasure of us ultimately is not dependent on our striving but it rests entirely upon the perfect person and life and death of jesus christ alone theologian herman boving tells us that the rest enjoyed in the new Jerusalem is not to be conceived as blessed inaction. The rest in the new Jerusalem is not to be conceived as blessed inaction. Scripture tells us that eternal life consists in knowing and serving God, in glorifying and praising Him. They are prophets, priests, and kings who reign on earth forever. In other words, God's people Part of our eternal duties, rather privileges, will be praising God. Rest, even in the eternal kingdom, God does not mean for rest to be absence of work. But the glorious rest promised to us means that it's going to be a joy-filled work as image bearers of God, as his children. Do you know Jesus in this way? to be able to sing a song like this? Does the story of Jesus give you peace? Or do you find yourself hung up on that last little bit of the angel's song because you're not sure that this peace is for you? The song closes by saying, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you ask that question, is God pleased with me? Is God pleased with you? If you continue to strive for God to be pleased with you. None of us would make it on our own. But I encourage you to take Jesus for the first time because God's peace is freely offered to all who trust in Jesus. It's, it's because of Jesus, it's because of Jesus' work on the cross that he paid for your sin and that God judges us according to his righteousness, his obedience, rather than our own. all of us, we sing because Jesus is King. We sing to remember the things that we constantly forget and we sing to express our deep longing for Him. We sing to declare Him as King and rest rest in His kingdom. And so all of our lives, in every action that we do, in every action that we take to serve and to love others is a continuous song that can either sing the story of this world Or better yet, we can sing the story of Jesus. Glory in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together.